on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, let's talk about why so many elite athletes are unvaccinated. I'm Siobhan Maguire and joining me today is Vincent Hogan, sports journalist at the Irish Independent. Good morning, Vincent. Let's get stuck into this because... You don't have to be a sports fan to find the events of the Australian Open intriguing. And we've had wall-to-wall coverage of Novak Djokovic's uh, visa refusal and his successful appeal in Australia. Can you talk us through what's happened and why? Good morning, Siobhan. Yes, it's, uh, it's been a bizarre story in many ways, convulsing the media, not just the sports media. This has been everywhere. Mr. Djokovic is not being held, held captive in Australia. He is free to leave. This is the immigration detention hotel where Novak Djokovic is being kept. Has been a bit of a bone of contention is this date of December the 16th because the whole reason that he got this visa exemption was because he said that he tested positive on that date. Mm. And so Tennis Australia had said that he could still travel out there. It's Largely, I suppose, because the world is convulsing with stories of COVID for the last two years or so. Um, In this instance, it's a decision by the federal court in in Melbourne to overturn a a border force um, decision not to grant his visa, or not to accept his visa, rather, uh, which he was granted through uh, Tennis Australia, Victoria State Government uh, medical exemption. So there is a sense, I think, Siobhan, of sport being weaponized to some degree. We saw the the grandstanding of the Australian Prime Minister last week when he was asked about this. And of course, it's an election year in Australia and there have been very severe lockdowns in Melbourne, particularly in Victoria State. So Scott Morrison was kind of using the language of a John Wayne almost saying that Djokovic, if he did not meet requirements, would be on the next flight home. Now, technically, He had a medical exemption, we're led to believe. But this story is running and running and running. And there's even a suggestion that the positive test that that Djokovic had on December the 16th, which essentially is, is the one that allows him come in on a medical exemption, there's now a suggestion that it may have, he may have tested negative originally, and that that may have been changed. Now, we don't know that, but there has been an investigative reporter looking into this. And this is so. So the suggestion that he may even have falsified documents, or people around him may have falsified documents, we don't know if that's true or not. But if it is the case, 
this is a story that's getting darker and more complex by the hour almost. Vincent, it kind of shines a light on how divisive talking about people who are unvaccinated actually is almost two years into the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And in relation to, say, the the appeal um, being lifted or uh, the uh, appeal being successful, uh, you had Serbian fans celebrating outside um, th- that that uh, the courtroom and, and the notorious hotel where uh, Djokovic was being held. And then the flip side, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, is the uh, people living in Australia who've had those really, really tough lockdowns, now seeing somebody who's unvaccinated being allowed to enter a major sporting event. Yeah, I think that runs to the core of this argument, Siobhan, that they see it as one rule for them and another rule for a a sports superstar. What's really kind of quite entertaining almost about this is the melodramatic language used by Djokovic's family back home in Belgrade. And, you know, he's been treated like a prisoner. It's torture. His father used the expression, um, you know, doing this to a boy from a small, poor country. This is the immigration detention hotel where Novak Djokovic is being kept. Adnan Chopani has been here for five months now after being moved from another facility. I live in level two and Djokovic live in level one. That is the food. We've been served every day by containers. We find a muggle and mold on a bread and we've been reporting it, but unfortunately there's no action been taken. Outside the hotel, there was dancing and music but also anger and frustration among Novak Djokovic's supporters. And, yeah, you know, a lot of emphasis has been put on the conditions that he's had to endure while he was in the Park Hotel, which is a fairly basic hotel in the business area of, of Carlton, which is a suburb in Melbourne. But it's a hotel known to hold long-term asylum seekers and refugees. Now, we're, we're led to believe that when he first entered there, Djokovic requested his personal chef. This, this is a, an athlete who is kind of an anti-science athlete who has long made it clear that he considers his, his body something that is uh, very, very sacred to him. So he, is, he follows a gluten-free diet, dairy, no, no dairy, no sugar, no meat, gets up in the morning to celery juice. Now, what we've seen from certainly the asylum seekers who've been held basically under armed guard in, in, in that hotel for more than a year in some cases, is pictures of what looks like very basic processed food. So this guy, Djokovic, who incidentally, despite being held up as a kind of a Serbian national hero in the last few days, he, he's a, he lives in the tax haven of Monaco, by the way. So how you, you equate the, those two things, I'm not sure. But it's hard to imagine how a guy who can't even get out during his time in that hotel to knock up in tennis, who has to, we're led to believe, eat the same food as these asylum seekers. You know, I can't imagine a chicken curry with rice being put in front of him, a guy who's been so careful with his body, and Djokovic eating that. So we don't know how strict those restrictions have been on him while he's been there. But what is, is developing now is a really polarized picture in Australia where the local people are furious if he gets to play in the tournament. 
Now, this is a tournament that was marred by a mass brawl in 2007, kind of a, a Slovak row between Serbs and Croats. So the local police, are, and you saw it with their pepper spray, use of pepper spray. Yeah. They're very concerned about how volatile this could become. So if he does get to play next week in the Australian Open, I think the, the world, not just the tennis world, but the world will be watching how this pans out. Will it just be a few gentle boos from the crowd or will it be a hostility that goes to another level? And he's kind of said himself he's prepared for the boos, um, Vincent. And I suppose the way you've described it there and, and what, something I said at the beginning of our conversation that you don't have to be a sports fan to be interested in this. Uh, when you talk about Djokovic and his very strict uh, regime in terms of diet and minding himself. I mean, I would, I, I'm not a sports fan, but I know that Cristiano Ronaldo does something similar. I mean, these, these elite athletes really, really take care of their bodies. They really, really watch what they put into them, don't they? They do. But what's interesting about Djokovic, Siobhan, is the mental strength that he has shown in his career. And he, he would have come on the, the tennis scene after the likes of Nadal and Federer. Now, Right now, Nadal, Federer and Djokovic are tied together on 20 Grand Slam wins each. So this is a kind of a, a really key moment for the likes of Djokovic. But bear in mind, when he was 11, this guy uh, was living in Belgrade, which was being bombed by NATO at the time. So he would have spent over two months in a basement shelter as an 11-year-old. He has a very different psychological makeup to most tennis or even sports superstars. He has a name for being, you know, almost thriving on things going against him. Now, if you think of it logically, when his fam- family say he's been held like, like a prisoner in Melbourne, that's not strictly the case because Djokovic could have left Melbourne at any time on a private jet. What he kept, couldn't do was leave the hotel to behave as normal in Melbourne. But that mental strength that he has, it's it's really interesting that he still wants to go ahead and play in this tournament because he's won the, the last three Australian Opens. He's won nine in total. If he wins a tenth, and he is red-hot favorite to do it, he separates himself from anybody else in tennis. And he has that mental strength and that deep-set resilience where he's just going to go for this until and unless he's told to leave the country. And of course, he's he's simply one in a long line of elite athletes who've chosen against a COVID vaccination, Vincent. Perhaps you can talk us through some of the other examples. Callum Robinson springs to mind. Very much so, Siobhan. Uh, Callum Robinson he, he faced a lot of wrath uh, going back to last October where he he gave a press con- conference before Ireland played, I think, Azerbaijan in Baku. And he was asked, had he been vaccinated? And he said he hadn't. It's obviously annoying that I've, that I've caught it twice, but I, I, I haven't been vaccinated. Um, it, further down the line, I'm, I could change my mind and want to do it. But at this moment in time, I haven't been vaccinated. No. I just haven't done it. Um, I think, as I said uh, to you, man, here, it's, it's your personal choice. And... Um, my choice at this moment in time, I haven't, I haven't been vaccinated. Um, I know, as you said, there's managers and people that will want you to do it, which is, 
which is right in their way of what they think but everyone has their their choice and what they want to do i wouldn't force it on people to do it or not it's your choice it's your body now this is particularly uh, notable because callum robinson had missed three international windows for the irish team through COVID issues twice because he had COVID and a third time because of being a close contact. So in total, Callum Robinson missed seven international games for Ireland last year, including three World Cup qualifiers. So it became a very pertinent debate around the time of Azerbaijan and then a subsequent following week, I think there was a friendly game against the World Cup host Qatar. And he basically said it was just his personal choice. Now, he met the, the, the wrath that he faced at the time pretty impressively because he scored twice in that game in Baku and then in the international friendly he scored a hat-trick. For a team, a, an Irish international team that has been struggling to get a goal scorer since Robbie Keane's retirement, that was some, some response from him um, to the, the naysayers, if you like. But Stephen Kenny, the Irish manager, who had been under extreme pressure at the time, was asked about this debate and should... You know, would would he ever consider not picking unvaccinated players? And he said, no, it would be kind of a very extreme view to take. I think it'd be quite a radical viewpoint to just say, right, whoever's not vaccinated has not been selected in the future. You know, that, 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 you know I'm not aware of anyone who's done that in, in any sport at the moment. So for me to just come and decide that would be extremely radical. You know, I was very happy to be myself and encouraged staff and players of course it's, it seems the most sensible thing to do to think that would be the safest thing in, in, in regard to our environment you know it's complex I'm not a medical expert but uh, I, I do trust the experts and think it is better to, to, to be double vaccinated Kenny did admit that there were several members of the Irish squad who were unvaccinated and for a manager under pressure and who, who faced these relentless COVID issues it's, it's a bit of a head wreck that, you know, you have these players who choose not to be vaccinated. But the, once you go down the line of mandatory vaccination and nobody is really happy to go down that line, you're in very, very tricky waters. And, and Kenny just would, would not do that. You know, the, the uptake of vaccines, say, in League One, in Bundesliga, in La Liga, in Serie A. So all of the comparative leagues around the, Europe, the major leagues, the uptake of players has been over 90%. In the Premier League, the last study showed it to be 68%. Now, that's not as big an outlier as it may seem in the sense that if you look at the age demographic, demographic of, yes, it is out of line with the general uptake in the population in the UK. But if you look at the age demographic in the UK, 18 to 24-year-olds, 63% uptake. 25 to 29-year-olds, 67% uptake. 30 to 34-year-olds, 75% uptake. Now, the age demographic of Premier League footballers would basically be 18 to 34. So when you look at it that way, Siobhan, it's not that totally out of line with the age demographic of players generally in the UK. But yes, it is out of line with the general uptake across Europe. And of course, we, we had that famous case in the Bundesliga where the Bayern Munich player, Joshua Kimmich, who was a kind of an anti-fax approach. And then he tested positive and acquired a lung infection that, you know, he, he wasn't able to play for, for two months afterwards. Now, Kimmich is seen as a very conscientious player, 
uh, a lot of phil- philanthropy and, and, and that side of stuff. But he admitted afterwards, he, he came out with the comment, I let my side down. And it was only when he got COVID that he seemed to understand the implications of it and the need to be vaccinated. And, you know, there's a, there's real efforts being made um, by the Premier League to try and spread awareness of uh, vaccines amongst fans as well. I mean, there's a there's a, a recent video made by Alan Shearer basically uh, ap- appealing to fans uh, to get vaccinated, to be aware of what's available to them. We all want to keep safe on a match day and the best way we can protect ourselves and other people is to get vaccinated. If you are eligible... Get your booster booked as soon as possible. That's like a concerted effort to to spread the awareness, I guess, beyond beyond the pitch, beyond relying on the players themselves to be vaccinated. Yeah, but you see, the Premier League knows how vulnerable it is at, at the moment. You you had a situation before Christmas where there was a Premier League match called off two hours before kickoff. Now, what the Premier League is very, very concerned about here is that when you have this pressure on supporters to be fully vaccinated to get access to the stadiums, and, you know, on a day, say, that supporters have traveled halfway across the country two hours before kickoff because of a COVID outbreak within a Premier League squad, the game is called off. Now, that is a potentially really volatile point of intersection where you have this polarizing of one attitude for supporters, another attitude for players. And that was an alarm bell, I think, for the Premier League, where they realized this is getting very tricky. We cannot allow supporters to be treated with apparent disdain that you can call off a game two hours before kickoff and yet such a questionable uptake of vaccines among players who obviously players are seen as these very privileged highly paid individuals and um, once you get to that point where supporters get angry about their treatment in the whole context of covid you are in very dangerous waters and the Premier League are are extremely aware of that. And I I guess um, the flip side of all of this is is myriad prominent voices uh, within within, uh, the Premier League making no bones about how they feel about unvaccinated players or or athletes. And Vincent, I'm thinking of Liverpool's Jurgen Klopp here and that drink driving analogy. A little bit like drink driving means... In fact, we all probably were in a situation where we had a beer or two and thought we still could drive. But after law, we are not allowed to drive anymore, so we don't drive. But this this law is not there for protecting me when I drank two beer and want to drive. It's there for protecting all the other people because I'm drunk or pissed and want to drive a car. Yeah, well, Jurgen Klopp has been extremely outspoken. Now, Let's be honest, he he has stopped short of demanding mandatory vaccination because that word mandatory is is just not acceptable, probably in any kind of domain. But Klopp has been very straight. He's said that he feels that it's not about protecting yourself so much as protecting the people around you. And he says that 99% of the staff in Liverpool are vaccinated and that's how he would want it to be. He is also more or less suggested that he wouldn't be 
interested in signing an unvaccinated player. Um, so he's been much more outspoken than his his peers for the likes of Antonio Conte. The, the Spurs manager has said he would never impose it on, on his players. Pop has been clever, in, incidentally, Siobhan. He hasn't said he would impose it on players, but he's a very charismatic, um, you know, much-loved leader of, of one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he has used language which is one stage, uh, on, on one level conciliatory, but on the other level saying you have a responsibility to the people around you. But definitely most managers have been reluctant to go down that route and have been shying away from the whole debate about players and vaccinations. Guardiola has been asked about it and he's been kind of quite cheapish about it. Klopp is an outlier in that sense, but he's an outlier in every sense in many ways, Siobhan. He's just someone who is very confident in his convictions. And um, he has been he, he has been absolutely clear about it. But look, there's a lot going on around COVID in every sport. You had the world's best golfer, John Ram, who was leading a golf tournament in America at Memorial, I think it was in June. Uh, he was leading by six shots with one round to play. And of course, the players are tested every single day. He tested positive on the Saturday night, had to withdraw from a tournament. He was leading by six shots. Two weeks later, he goes and wins his first major, the US Open. But the same John Ram then tested positive and couldn't play at the Olympics in Tokyo. So mass testing is how these major sports are trying to cope with this. But you have Liverpool at the moment who couldn't play their Carabao Cup first leg semi-final against Arsenal last week because of a an onset of positive tests in the squad, Klopp subsequently revealed that all bar one was uh, a false positive. So it's very, very tricky. Sport is basically continuing on the basis of mass testing. But how reliable the testing is, is anyone's guess. Vincent, finally divisive, polarizing, uh, or just plain personal choice. Is the events within the Australian Open likely to be mimicked uh, in other sporting events throughout 2022? This this is a debate that's going to run and run. For example, the French Open. The French have very strict COVID restrictions. You know, will Novak, Novak Djokovic be allowed to play in that tournament? The World Cup coming up in Qatar starts in November. Now, that's a controversial tournament in itself. The very fact that starting in November tells you that all you need to know about how controversial that is. Um, but we now have rumors that despite very strict COVID laws in Qatar, that players will be allowed, unvaccinated players will be allowed to compete so long as they are tested on a daily basis. This story is going to run and run, Siobhan, on almost every level of sport. And that was Vincent Hogan, sports journalist at the Irish Independent. Well, I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode of the Indo Daily was presented and produced by myself, recorded by Gavin Hennessy with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from independent.ie, BBC News, Sky Sports News and the Premier League. You can follow the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.